spinning back to the open side. Karim Bete, Optical here for Samu, who's quick. Pete Samu looking for Karim Bete. Back to Samu. Oh, that is wonderful. That is wild. That is amazing from the Wallabies. Hi there, welcome to Pick and Drive Rugby. We are the people's podcast, providing a platform for rugby lovers to come together and support the game that's played in heaven. Match reviews, play interviews, quality chat that is consistent and positive. We do it all for you, our dear listeners. I'm your host, Mitch. Uh, Ando is away this week, so I'm joined by Lockie from Scrum Bags. And I guess while Ando's away, the boys will play. How are you, Lockie? Oh, ready to play. I like that segue. Ap- apologies. I think my dogs decided to have a first drink of the day if there's background <laughs> lapping. Uh, but very keen, mate, especially while the boss Ando's out and about. Hey, Ben, what's going on? Yeah, very, very excited to chat through some uh, some good quality rugby content this evening. So I'll dive through what we're going to do um, and then we'll go through our super rugby tipping comp results and we might just get into it. So we do have... Now that we've got the, the man himself, the specialist Lockie from Scrum Bags doing an Aussies abroad or all abroad section, we'll dive into that first up. Uh, and then we'll go through the Super W results from this weekend, some absolute cracking games there. We'll then go through Super Rugby Pacific, the results from round eight, talk about some of the games in detail and some of them we'll just gloss over a little bit. And we've had one or two questions come in for the locker room before we dive into that and then answer that. So for those that are playing along at home and are joining our Super Rugby Tipping Comp, um, I, if you're playing on YouTube, you can definitely see that I'm up there in 148. So I'm definitely not doing too well. But up the top, we've got Dan G or Jojo Rabbit in first place on 40 points, followed closely by Speedway Picks or Matthew B uh, on 39 points and Paul F or S Blanco in third place also on 39 points. Lucky, how are you going in the tipping? I noticed you're in there this year. Look, I thought I was going okay, and then I butchered last week's, and I actually forgot to put this week's in. So I reckon I've gone, I think I was about eighth for the pick and drive, and I reckon I'd be lucky to be in the top 100 now after <laughs> oh, no. a, a couple of serious hiccups. I'll have a pick now, actually, but I reckon it's dropped seriously low. I think this is go. the first week that I've got all the games right. So I don't think the this platform, like Superbrew in the past, gives you like the bonus oh. points for getting all of them right, unfortunately. Because right. no, I don't so think I've moved. They give you um, points if you don't submit. They'll just give you 50%. So Do they give you like half the, the home teams or something? So, something like that. So I'm still in 60. So we're going okay. Um, back end of the season, we'll see if we kick on. So you've dropped from eighth to sixty. This is a tight. Yeah, it's, it's not been my <laughs> missing one round. Much. That's how tight things are. So, uh, yeah, just shocker. Anyway, we'll see how we get on. Um, fingers crossed for a full round this weekend. All <laughs> oh, right. Well, that's that's exciting. Well, let's um let's kick it off into things. Uh, we don't have too much else. We do have our Discord server. I guess Ando normally has a little spiel that he likes to call there. So if you are interested in joining us. We've got a lot of content and chat that goes on in that, our own little community we put together. Check out our socials for the link to that one. Um, definitely get involved if you can because both Ando and myself like to be involved in that Discord channel and, and we've got some great conversations going around all the games over the weekend and if there's just some place that you want to be able to have up and talk about rugby when the games are on, when you're at home watching it, that's definitely the place to be. So do join us there if you can. Uh, I think that's all we've got for the intro. Let's uh, let's dive into the first round.
Lardy, Aussies abroad, and there has been a fair bit going on in the past two weeks. Uh, if you're on YouTube, what's up on your screen is a week behind, but still very important. We've got the championship, uh, the Euro Championship Cup finals. So the semifinals will be coming up around the track and we're down to the final four. And there's Aussies across the park, which is fantastic. Will Skelton's defending champs, La Rochelle, they're going to be in a semi and they'll be up against Scott Seo's Exit Chiefs, which is awesome. They've been cracking on really nicely. And also Richie Arnold of not Rory Arnold fame um, <laughs> is having a crack as well. He's still going along with um, Toulouse. And Emmanuel Mifo, who's the other big second rower that Eddie tried to pinch, he's running along at Toulouse as well. So they've got a semi-final date with Leinster coming up. But the Euro Championship finals up for a, a little track. Um, they've still got top 14 and URC going on. There is an insane amount of club rugby that goes on in Europe that we'll touch on in just a tick. But just quickly on the the Championship Cup side of things, how good would it be for Australian domestic rugby to have something like that, Mitch? Oh, I mean, that's something that we've sort of envied for so long with the Northern Hemisphere. Now that South African teams are up there and last year they did a little bit better than this year and I think they, well, in terms of the Championship Cup, this is their first year involved, but they were going so well in the um, the URC last year and had took out the final and all South African. And it makes you wonder as an Aussie fan how it would be how we would go. I mean, we're always going up against the Kiwi sides and getting pretty badly pumped there, but it'd be fantastic to see a game like Western Force or Melbourne Rebels up against some of the powerhouse in Europe just to see if they are a little bit more competitive. Yeah, just to test the waters as well. And imagine the kind of crowds you'd get for a team like the Crusaders playing over there or even the Brumbies who've got so much sort of successful history in that space. I would, I'd love to see it happen down the track, but luckily we're not in a position to make those decisions. So we'll crack on to the Aussies that are kicking no. around in the regular comps. <laughs> well, not yet anyway. Um, we'll jump over to URC and um, the, the not-so-prodigal son, Mac Hansen, continues to disappoint all Brumbies fans and Australian fans across the world by being so good. Um, he scored another try um, for Connacht in a crucial win over Cardiff in their UFC match uh, just gone Saturday night. So Connacht, for the first time, will play in the URC finals. And they're a stack. They're just the stacked side with Aussies. They've got um, Byron Ralston, John Porch, uh, and um, oh, what's his surname? I always forget. Um, but he played for the Brumbies for ages. Jared, Jared forgot his surname, but he plays in the back row. And they've just got stacks of Aussies in this Connacht side. So really good to see um, Mac Hansen doing so well, even though he's probably going to end up in a Lions jersey against us in a couple of years. <laughs> which would be grating to see. Um, but that combo he's got with um, former Chiefs boy Bundy Arkey, like they're just amazing. They play through club at Connacht and through Ireland. They're just incredible to watch. If you get the chance, watch a bit of URC. Uh, and then in USA Where can as you well, watch that? Where, like how do you watch that down here in Australia? It's obviously not on Stan Sport. No, not on, not on Stan. You can jump online and watch for free via the USA website. So okay. if you sign up for an account, you can watch full match replays and highlights and things like that. They've got a paid subscription service if you want to watch it live, but it's in the wee hours of the morning for us. So I'd rather just go down the free route and watch a replay. If, you, yeah, if nice. you're really leaning into the rugby nuffy like me, I might be revealing a bit too much of myself um, <laughs> with that kind of information. But it's there if people are interested and there's plenty of Aussies to keep an eye on too. Um, other Aussies running around are Ben Tapawai, who amazingly still runs around with the Sharks at inside centre. They've got another win. Um, Sammy Carter, um, old Wallaby and Brumby second row, 
Um, he's running around with Ulster still. They got another big win, so they'll play finals, as will the Sharks at this point. And um, JP Smith, uh, the old mm-hmm. prop who played for almost every Australian Super Rugby team, yep. he's still running around with the Lions. And if you check out their social media, JP Smith absolutely annihilated a couple of blokes in their game against Leinster, which they only just lost. So well worth a look in for that. Um, top 14, not much doing for the Aussies. Most of the big um, Wallaby players have been rested after the Champions Cup. Uh, and then over in Japan, there's been some big news, which is good to see. Um, long-suffering Kintetsu uh, with Will Genia and Quade Cooper when he's fit. Uh, they've got their first win in the top league all year. So they'd been 14 losses in a row and came from behind. I think they were down 26 to 3 at halftime and they came back oh, to win this one against Kobe Steel. Um, kick after the siren. I think it was uh, Jackson Garden Bashop, whose brother plays oh, yeah. for Highlanders, mm-hmm. I think. I'm right. So that awesome to see them get a win. And on the flip side, uh, Marika Corabetti's Wild Knights ended their 14 game winning streak. They finally lost um, to Shizuoka Blue Revs uh, overnight. So a couple of interesting ones to look at there. And also a young fellow who came out of the Brisbane GPS system, uh, Vincent Seffo. I think he's only 19 and he's getting a start in Kintetsu outside Wolgenia at the moment. So pretty interesting to see some of the talent that's coming through um, from Australia in Japan as well. And that just about wraps up uh, Aussies Abroad. Where are the Japanese? Where's the uh, the season up to with them? They must be coming up towards finals soon, right? They are. So the, I think they've only got a couple of rounds to go, maybe a handful. Um, uh, Marika Korobeni's Wild Knights already locked in top spot. Okay. And Bernard Foley's Kubota uh, have wrapped up second. So there's a bit of a tussle because they just play top four semi in a final, um, to my understanding. But yeah, Kintetsu is looking at a likely relegation playoff, given they've only won the one game. So we'll see how they go. It'd be nice to keep them in, but so they in the are they still in the second division or are they in the first division this year? No, Liners are playing first, so that's they that's why they're having such a tough time. They've right. been getting because I know they they last la- they had both Quaid and um, Will Genya there last year, and they won, didn't they? And yep. they put them up into the first. <laughs> they've gone. Yeah, one, one div two, and it's been a, a very harsh reality check. I think being in top <laughs> div, so they'll probably be fighting around if they can survive relegation. Yeah, that'd be great, but they're probably looking at returning to Div 2, which given their results would be a fair, pretty fair fit here. It would be interesting ball. to see in this off-season after the World Cup how Japan rugby sort of reevaluates the um, willingness to allow the players to go and play international rugby. Like on the one hand, you want your players to do that, but when you look at Quay Cooper, went off and played for the Wallabies, did his Achilles, he's now missed most of the season for them, and he's like their yeah. marquee signing, their big bucks player. And they've, they've really... they've realistically they've struggled really badly without him there haven't they yeah for sure and i think we see that more in europe as well like you mentioned with players being contracted to club and not being released and that's a very likely strong likelihood going forward for japan especially because they do want to consolidate we've heard that they're pushing for a bid to get the world cup back as soon as i think 2035 um after the the us um hold theirs in 2031 so Expect a bit more resistance, I would say. But also, and you mentioned it before, whether we can watch these competitions overseas, for the life of me, why Stan hasn't been able to retain it or New Zealand Sky Sports. It's, there's so many Aussies and so many Kiwis playing over there and it's such a good brand of footy. I would love if we were able to have access to that kind of footage and to watch live as well. Yeah, exactly. To, to be able to see how they're going. I mean, we're, 
as as Aussie fans, we sit here and we get these plays that are announced as you know fringe plays for the Wallabies or the international signings, and you go, well, how have they been going over there? Like, it, yeah. we don't. It used to be kind of chalk and cheese comparing the Japanese comp to Super Rugby, but mm. in from what a lot of reports, the Japanese comp is stepping up. The physicality is getting there. And games are getting a lot more competitive. So it's not much of a drop-off for those players to be playing over there as it is opposed to playing Super Rugby. Cool. Did you have anything else for this section or shall we move on to the next bit? No, clip it up there. All right, time to chat some rugby now. And we'll start things off with the Super W results from this weekend. Now, it was round four. And what was really exciting about this weekend, uh, maybe not so much upsets, one upset particularly, but uh, very much a closer score in a lot of these games. And probably the most competitive uh, round of competition we've seen in Super W since it was uh, created in 2018. So to run quickly through the results before we dive into some of the the games in a little bit more detail. So we had the Brumbies hosting the Rebels on Friday night. Uh, Brumbies getting the Chockeys there 30 to 23 over the Rebels. This afternoon, we had the Waratahs, the top of the table cl- clash, Waratahs and Queensland Reds. This was a really tightly contested game, 31 to 30 to the Waratahs there. Um, it was the, it was never in doubt, realistically. Um, <laughs> and well, the finishing off this afternoon, we had Western Force hosting the Fijiana in Drua, 23 to 10 there to the Western Force. And that is the upset of the round, which we'll talk about in a little bit more detail um, later on. But to start things off, which which game do you are you itching to chat most about, Lockie? Oh, we've got to go straight to Tars Reds, don't we? That was just an unbelievable game. Heartbroken as a Reds fan to see us go down by a point again. We just can't manage to get over the line against the Tars, but it was easily the highest quality game of Super Rugby I think we've been lucky enough to see so far. Uh, the the backline players are slick. The goal kicking is improving. The physicality is unbelievable. Some of the runs from the likes of Adiana Talakai from Annabelle Cody, they are terrifying. They're brilliant, brilliant runners, and I think that's probably what stood out for me most during the game. What about you, Mitch? Yeah, well, even take, taking aside the fact that this was Super W, a lot of people in, online are talking around this being the game of the round of just Super Rugby, Super Rugby Pacific oh, and yeah. Super W. Like, this was intense. Both teams were out here ready to come to blows at times. There was there was a bit of fisticuffs yeah. multiple times. Uh, players lucky not to get yellow cards from face pushes Very and all kinds lucky. of things. A bit of an open-handed push to the chest. I'm pretty sure we saw palm to chin contact, but we'll let it slide because it, it made the game so spicy. And that's one of the things, I guess, about Super W, and particularly in these like early rounds of the comp, they don't have the TMO to fall back on. So if the referee says, look, that's a that's a push to the chest, let's play on, you've got no one to come in and check, check and say, no, actually there's chin contact there. No, it's a tough one. But look, it made for a, what I saw to be a fantastic game of rugby. And I, I don't know about you and what you saw, I'm sure, with maybe a blue-tinted pair of glasses on. But for me, Georgie Friedrichs is unparalleled at the moment in Super W. couple of try assists for Desiree Miller. She scored one on her own. She made about three or four pilfers, including the, the match winner at the end of it all. She is, for mine, a lock for Wallaroos 13 going forward. Did anyone stand out for you in particular? 
Oh, the, there's players from both sides. I thought uh, really impressive from both teams. Just in general, I guess what I was really impressed with the Reds that we've often seen that they have been dominant in games, but they haven't necessarily come out and applied scoreboard pressure. And particularly for this Waratahs team, that's that's a foreign concept to them. Other than that sort of final and the first um, in Drua game last year, they have never really been contested in terms of being behind on the scoreboard. And multiple times in this game, the Reds had like 10 or more point gap on them. And it goes to show this Waratahs team for the first time, really, they were able to reassess their structures, go back to the basics and, and grind down that their, you know, go back to their basics and, and score points and sort of grind down the win. But, um, you know, you've got to take your hat off to the Reds women. Like they were intense. They were up for it. They scored some really nice tries as well. They did, and look, it was you're right. It was so well balanced. I'm just having a look through some of my match notes um, here. Cecilia Smith, I mean, gutted for her that she wasn't able to put the last kick over, but she was unbelievable across the park. She distributes really well. She steps really nicely on the inside and takes that sort of loose shoulder. So she always gets an arm three in contact. Our um, some of the Kiwi girls that have come across um, uh, Heaney and Dallinger have been fantastic in the halves for the Reds. And I mentioned it before, but Annabelle Cody has just been a monster in Super W this year, and she scored two tries to add to that this afternoon. She's a superstar in that number five jersey. So I think we're seeing, and I like this because we're seeing more and more names popping up. It's not just we look at the Grace Hamiltons, we look at the Shannon Parrys. There are now stars all across the paddock, and that's becoming more recognised. And like to talk about the Waratahs win for a little bit because you know they actually won this game and and deserve oh all yeah, the, yeah you can all, if you all like the, all the credit there but Ella Ryan at ten she's just going from strength to strength um, and Lane Morgan at number nine I I, I always I came into this season expecting to see a lot of batter Pasanga um, for the Waratahs and this might have been that transition year where they were sort of giving her a bit of game time but transitioning across to the to Morgan um, but. Morgan's played most of the minutes for the Tars this year, and she's just looking so strong. She got few minutes last year for the Wallaroos, and she's definitely shaping to be that that scrum half, if maybe not number nine, maybe twenty one for the Wallaroos, and we'll see, she's got a massive future ahead of her. Oh, for sure, I'd argue she's probably the form nine at the moment, off the back of her distribution. I mean, she runs and snipes really well, and we saw that particularly last week when she bagged a couple of tries. But she was really good, particularly scooting out to the right and finding space around the Reds' A defender. But her distribution is rocket fuel. She's passing so quickly and slapping players out in front. I would wager she's got the best pass in the comp at this point. And like her, her skill set, like you said, getting those passes out in front, some of the, the men in super rugby level, they, they're not getting their passes consistently out in front they as need well to take as she note. is. Yeah. They need to watch Land Morgan highlight reels and they need to do it quickly. If she could do some training with Jake Gordon, I think she's onto something. <laughs> she's doing really well. <laughs> no, she, she, she has been fantastic. And look, and full credit to the Tars. I've got plenty of salt on me after another tight loss, but they remain the form side, especially after the massive performance against the Drua to see off what was a really strong Reds challenge and ice it at the end. Full credit to them. They'll deserve their home semi and they will go into these final series as favourites. Definitely. Now I have. We we will look a little bit at the table um, after we talk through the other results. I haven't seen uh, much of this Rebels and Brumbies game. You caught a bit of that one. What were your sort of thoughts around that game? 
Yeah, and I really enjoyed it too. It was another fantastic game. It didn't nearly go the way that I thought it would. It looked very one-sided to begin with, with um, a lot of probably kick errors and exit errors from the Rebels, things that we've seen creep into the game in the past. But they're starting to get more physical. We're seeing better kickouts, especially from Mia Ray Clifford coming across from AFLW. So her goal kicking was keeping the Rebels in the game the whole time. Um, they've got a couple of bigger clearances. They had a um, 12 starting for them, Wazzy Tallis, who had a really big uh, right boot and was really good defensively. So that physicality is there. And I keep watching Ashley Masters in awe because she's just the engine of that team, whether she's playing six or playing at two like she was um, the other day. She was a superstar. So she was almost single-handedly keeping them in that game. But, I mean, it was 17-13 at half time, and I was expecting the Brumbies to probably kick on and go, but really sensible uh, decision-making around penalties. Um, their replacement halfback, uh, Taguga, who came on pretty early on in the piece, had a fantastic scooting try just after half time. So went about 40 metres and um, scored down the left, which was unreal to see. And I think it probably tipped about 57 minutes in, close to that halfway point of the second half. There was a try-saving tackle um, on Rebels when Kerry Johnson, um, Sarah Reid, knocked her into touch just in the corner, and it all it all flipped from there. The Rebels you know, kept turning down penalty kicks, the momentum flipped, and then a couple of tries at the end. Jay Hurawai um, scored one, and then um, Biola Dawa out wide scored one to ice it in the last minute. So it probably didn't deserve to be the, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't look close. I mean, it doesn't look spread apart 30, 23, but it really should have been sort of 25, 23 to reflect how tight it was all through that right. second half. Yeah. And I mean, how good is that to see? Like we, previous years of Super W, it's Waratah's clearly ahead. Indrua come in, they sort of challenge them and, and they win it last year. And Brumbies, Rebels, Reds to a degree, Western Force have sort of been the lower teams and, and have been mm. struggling to kind of match the, the higher teams on the table. But this year, we're actually starting to see that all teams are being competitive and anyone on their day can sort of cause an upset, which is fantastic. Yeah, and the quality of this game, bearing in mind that neither had won yet. Yep. These were the two bottom teams and it was a really high-quality game. There's still you know the handling errors and the kick errors that we've seen across, but that's not, you know displaced compared to watching a game of Super Rugby at the moment. So exactly. we're seeing a similar pattern of play and the fact that we got such a good game out of um, five plays six at that point is a real credit to how quickly Super W is developing. Exactly. Now, if we talk about an upset, let's move across to the last game of the round and that was oh, the Western Force huge. hosting Regiana in Drua, 23 to 10. Now, I didn't get to see this game. I have gone back and watched some of the highlights and, and bits and pieces of it, but that scoreline, that is not what I was expecting at all. Not at all. I was fully expecting a, a bounce back from Fijiana and probably looking at plenty of runaway tries, lots of long range interplay. But we've seen the back line has changed for the Fijiana. And I think we're really seeing the work on the forces side from Matt Hodgson and how quickly they've been able to consolidate their pack. And Michaela Leonard's been a huge part of bringing that together in the second row as well. Now, it does need to be said that there was two yellow cards and a red card to the Drua in this game. So they did have a, a play down from about the 33rd minute or so, um, which, you know, playing a player down for that amount of time is always going to be a massive disadvantage at this level. 
but yeah. we kind of were expecting to see the the Drua click and and move to that next level, which to their credit, the Western Force never allowed them to do. Yeah, for sure. And look, they deserve a win. They absolutely deserve their second win. And now they're in a real shot at making it through to this final stage, which would be a massive milestone for their program. We've already seen the Super W Force Academy that's been put in place over there and getting a final shot, even if it's just going getting into the semifinals and having a crack, is already a massive step from where the program's been in the past. Yep. For sure, definitely. Now, if we look forward to what comes next, so reflecting on the table and how things currently sit, we have the Waratahs firmly, in, or maybe not so firmly anymore, but in top spot on 20 points, followed closely by the Queensland Reds women in second place on 16 points. We then have Fijian Indra in third place on nine points, followed by the Western Force currently in fourth place, which is the, the cutoff of the finals. Um, uh, they're on eight points. We then have the Brumbies on six points, followed by the Rebels on one point. So if we look forward to what's coming up next weekend, which is the final round of the regular season, we have the Waratahs, well, not hosting, sorry, they're playing the Rebels down in in Melbourne. Um, That's on Friday night at 5.05 p.m. We then have on Saturday afternoon, the Western Force hosting the Brumbies women. And then the final game of the round is the Reds and the Indrua um in Queensland so if we sort of look at who how we expect the kind of table to finish taking into account the playoff series is the top four teams so I think one plays four and two plays three um going through in the finals and then they have a final after that to take out the whole comp how do you sort of foresee next week going how do you think that that, who's going to get that fourth place playoff spot oh it's I, I don't know. That's the, the hardest part. So, I mean, we know the Rebels are out of the running. We know the Tars have just about locked up top spot and that's expected that they'll go down and they'll probably do a job against the Rebels. But that fourth spot, geez, the way that the Force have been able to jag their wins has been really impressive. But And they'll have that home advantage as well against the Brumbies. But the way that the Brumbies played against the Rebels, some of their patches were excellent as well. And you've got real class in that Brumby side. You've got the likes of Pessy Parler, who's been sensational. Grace Kemp was fantastic again from number eight. And you'd probably argue that at this point, the Brumbies women have a bit more strike power, mm-hmm. but you've got the travel across to Perth. That's, you know, it's an extra burden getting across to Nullarbor and the things that go with it. So that's a coin flip. And honestly, so is the Reds drew up to the Drua game. That's a fight to have a home semi. And you'd expect on current form the Reds to do well. But again, that's anyone's guess. So it's exciting. And we mentioned it off air before, but how good it is to see such a competitive Super W table come finals time. That's right. Now, I, it, in terms of semis, I think they both are being played at Concord Oval. So um, oh, no team gets... Doesn't. Yes. No, so, so no team, unfortunately, does get the home semi final apart from the Waratahs women. Uh, and they are firmly in, in top spot, which is in some ways is a bit of a shame because it would be awesome to see if either of those teams, the Indrua or Queensland, were able to get that second place. Um, they would then be able to play in front of the home fans. That's just that step forward in professionalism that we kind of are craving for in a competition like Super yeah. W. And hopefully next year when a little bit more private equity money comes in, flows into the RA Bank accounts, they might be well, able to do 19. that. 19.5. Yeah, we'll see how they go. 
<laughs> um, but yeah, in terms of a final, I'm I'm looking forward and I'm I'm thinking the two teams that are, are clear ahead of the top of the table at this point are the Queensland Reds and the New South Wales Waratahs women team. And we saw that this week that really that was a a Super W final preview, wasn't it? The yeah. the way that the both teams had such intent, were playing with such passion, and a lot of bragging rights will come out of this game because it kind of if you do, if it ends up and things go to plan. This will be the final that and take your hat off because Queensland, the, the final for Super W this year is being played in Queensland. So if they it does end up being the Tars women versus the Queensland Reds women in the final, you might think that the um the sort of bonus goes to Queensland for having the final hosted up at um in Townsville. I think it's before the Waratahs and men's game in a few weeks. Yeah, and Red look, wouldn't that be fantastic to see a doubleheader Reds Tars? And that's purely from a, a sales pitch, I guess, on their part. Obviously, we want to see new teams coming through and doing well, but that's certainly on the cards. And you know, up in Townsville, maybe if it's a bit hotter, whoever's going to get there is going to be greeted with a pretty tough environment to play in. So I'm just looking forward to what's probably going to be the most competitive semi-final series and final series we've seen, which is really exciting. Um, do you have anything else you want to say about Super W or should we shift across into the Super Rugby Pacific? No, let's jump across, ready to roll. Fantastic. So let's dive through the results and then, so we had four games over the weekend, similar to last week, this was a shortened round with a few teams on by. Um, we'll run through the results first and then we might focus on the Aussie games and go into a little bit more detail on those. So the first game of the round was a historic first game um, in Samoa in Apia for Moana Pacifica. Now they hosted the Queensland Reds. The Unfortunately, the Reds did sort of spoil the party there and did come away with uh, a bonus point win, 40-28 in that game to the Reds. Second game of the round was played on Friday night in Canberra. Brumbies hosting the Fiji Drua. Now the final score in this game was 43-28. to We might talk a little bit more detail about it later, but that, that scoreline does not reflect how tight and intense this game really was. Uh, the third game of the round on Saturday afternoon, Hurricanes hosting the Chiefs, the only uh, New Zealand game of the weekend, 17-33 final score there to the Chiefs, taking out the Chockeys in that game before the Waratahs got a bonus point win on Saturday night against the Western Force, 36-16. to Now, I did mention we will talk in detail about the Aussie games, uh, so we'll talk about Moana Reds, Brumbies, Drua, and Waratahs Force. Did you get a chance to watch the Canes and Chiefs game? And was there anything you sort of came out of that for you? No, I didn't get the chance, but I can't say that I'm surprised with the result. I think the Chiefs have clearly been top dogs in the Super Rugby Pacific this year. And the Hurricanes have probably benefited from a couple of, I wouldn't call them easier games, but they've certainly been against lower on the ladder. They haven't been challenging that top echelon of teams like your Brumbies and your Blues and your Crusaders yet. And I think we've seen pretty clearly that the Chiefs are the team to beat um, so far in Super Rugby Pacific. Did you get yeah, I also didn't. Yeah, I didn't get a chance to catch much of this game. But from what a lot of people and I heard online, they were sort of saying this was going to be the game of the weekend and very tightly contested and it d- doesn't seem like it was. I wasn't surprised to see that the Chiefs did come away so convincingly against the Hurricanes. I think they're playing really good footy this year. They've got a style of play that really suits the players that they have in their team. And at this point in the competition, they look like they're, they're clear ahead of pretty much anyone else in the comp. And my, we're about halfway through. It might be a bit hard to say, but I would I would say if you had to pick a team that is looking the best and might be 
considered a finalist at this point. The Chiefs kind of have that that vote for my my opinion. Yeah, for sure. And look, there's a there's a easily a world where we're seeing a top three padding out as the New Zealand sides. But what I like from the Brumbies is that they're still in that race. So if we can see them up around the Chiefs, up around the Blues at the pointy end, I'd love to see them bag a top two spot. Oh, for sure. Yeah, definitely can't wait for that one. Now, if we look at the Super Rugby Pacific table, this was the halfway point of the competition. There are 15 rounds this year. Um, we have sort of, we'll go through now for those that are on uh, YouTube, you can obviously see it in front of you, but for those that are on the podcast and listening to this, I'll quickly, I'm just bringing it up. So I'm patting while I get it up on my screen to see it in a little bit greater detail. So we have in first place, the Chiefs, they're on 31 points. Second place is the Brumbies, also on 31 points. Um, Hurricanes in third place on 27 points. We've got the Crusaders in fourth place on 23 points. The Blues in fifth place on 21 points. Queensland Reds in sixth place on 15. Highlanders in seventh on 14 points. Fiji Drew are rounding out the top eight in the final, the, the teams that will make the playoffs in the finals. Um, they're on 13 points. Queens, uh, New South Wales Waratahs in ninth, also in 13 points. Uh, it's a bit of a toss of a coin there, but the Fiji Drew have won um, three games where the Waratahs have only won two. That's why they are ahead of them on the table. 10th place, we have the Melbourne Rebels on 10 points. 11th place is the Western Force on nine. And bottom of the table at the moment is Moana Pacifica on two points. So if we, um, I guess, chat around how we thought Super Rugby was going to shape up this year, are you a bit surprised to see how the teams are kind of placed this far in, into the competition? I mean, yes and no. I think we're kidding ourselves if we don't think there's at least four New Zealand sides playing finals. Um, it's a little grating to see all five in the top eight or even top seven as it is. But if you take a closer look, I mean, there's one win, aside bonus points aside, separating sixth from 11th. So it is going to be so tight for those final three, even four slots as we go through. And what's going to really count against them going forward, some of these teams, particularly the Highlanders and the Drua, is their points differential. We're seeing the Highlanders are in a pretty bad spot, negative 44. Drew, it looks like it's 67. So we've got a fair while before that pans out, and it could even out. But, you know, Waratahs still in the positives. They've banked plenty of bonus points, and they're doing well in that space, particularly to get that one last night. It's going to be crucial at the pointy end. Are we surprised to see Moana down the bottom? Probably not. Same would go for your force and your rebels who you're expecting to maybe push for a seventh or eighth at best. But gee, it would be nice to see at least two of our two more Aussie sides really push up into that final space. Definitely. I think one thing that is surprising to me, the Chiefs in top spot undefeated so far in the season. I mean, we we spoke about them briefly earlier and they're playing great rugby. But coming into the season, you kind of expect that performance from a team like the Crusaders. And to see that the Crusaders themselves are in fourth place and have lost twice is pretty unusual for a team that is still so heavily strong and full of All Blacks players. Yeah, and look, it's a good point, but you also got to look at the games that they have lost. You're a round one upset from the Chiefs sort of ruining their party back in Christchurch, and then they've lost a really tight game over in Fiji. So there's a universe in which they're easily seven from seven but they've got the class to have got through some of these games. They put away the Brumbies, even though they were under strength. 
they've got through some of their tougher ones and they've put on clinics when they've needed to against teams like the Highlanders already this season. So, I mean, I think we're, we're kidding ourselves if we don't think the Crusaders are gunning for a, a home quarter final. And who would want to go to Christchurch across the ditch and play a knockout game? I mean, it's, it's the toughest exactly. ask, you'd say, in Super Rugby at the moment. Oh, for sure, definitely. And particularly when you take into account that this is Scott Robertson's last year in charge of the Crusaders, like some, seeing some of their players like Richie Mo off as well over to Japan next year, you'd expect them to finish the 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 year really strong and particularly those finals, they'll come they'll have an intention to 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 get the job done for both of those guys. Um and, and I don't think any team wants to play them in the in the finals. I mean, can you imagine? I mean, it'd be nightmare fuel for Aussies. Can you imagine what seven finals in a row winning for the Crusaders? I mean, it's just it's ridiculous stats that they're churning out. And I mean, it would be a fairy tale for him, but I'd be much happier seeing an Aussie side knock him off in historic circumstances. We can only hope. <laughs> now, the way that the, the the table currently falls, there's a real chance that um, the Waratahs will be playing the Brumbies in a quarterfinal for Super Rugby this year. Mm. Do you think that that is a positive for Australian rugby, having two team, two Aussie teams that essentially guarantees one of them makes the semis? Do you think that's a good thing or would you much prefer to see both Aussie teams play a Kiwi side? Oh, depends what hat you're thinking with. If you want to sell it as a success for Aussie rugby, you want to see teams in semifinals and finals. So if you've got two and you're going to get one through, that's a better thing for you know the higher-ups to push and celebrate as how good is this going. But yes, I mean, I would love to see Australian teams knock over New Zealand teams. That's what it's all about. I mean, we love you know the local derbies and the history that they've got across the park. but there's still no better feeling for an Aussie Super Rugby side, I think, than knocking off a Kiwi team. It's like a little Bledisloe dig every time it happens. It's a little victory that we can chalk up and ignore the 20-plus years of pretty tough and lean times that we've been going through. It's what, so, it's what gets you up as a, as a fan, isn't it? It's what keeps you going. It's like, well, we won that one game, that one final game, that one time, so we've got a chance this year. Yeah, so we're still in and you, you look at your 2014s or your 2011s if you're a Tars or a Reds fan or you, <laughs> you look to the um, Brumbies playing a couple of finals. But realistically, it's been a long time since we've had trans-Tasman success at a super rugby level and you would be looking probably at 2014 since that's been the case. So, yes, in short, I would love us to be stacked up against New Zealand teams and getting good results. If we have to cannibalise each other on the way to a semi-final <laughs> or a final, maybe that's okay too. Yeah, well, I mean, I would hate for it as a Waratahs fan. I would hate to see the Waratahs go down and kick the Brumbies out in a quarterfinal. Um, as much as it would be great to see the Waratahs go through, but I just think the Brumbies are a much better team at the moment. And even though that game last week for the Waratahs and Brumbies was really tight, and on their day the the Waratahs can push them, I think the Brumbies play a much better style of rugby that would be able to upset the Kiwis and probably go deeper into the comp, like we saw last year. They went to Auckland and. Bar a few dodgy ref calls, probably missed out on a final. Um, they probably the Waratahs. I don't think are the finished product at the at the at the moment, and probably won't push the Kiwi sides as far as the Brumbies would. Oh, look, I'm inclined to agree. In an ideal world, we're seeing all five sides pushing up. I think that's probably still a pipe dream at this point. But yes, I want to see a successful Brumbies go deep. I want to see the Tars and the Reds lock themselves into the top eight, not be on the fringe. I want to see the Rebels and Force pushing for that eighth spot and really challenging and get it, get the Highlanders out of there. I love them as a side, but you've, you can't have all five in finals again. It's too no, much. Let's do it. Come on, Aussie sides. Let's kick the Highlanders out. 
Rebels were were calling on you to get and the drawer to to kick them out. So yeah. <laughs> let's see how that goes. Let's now dive into the results from this weekend. So we'll start off with the Queensland Reds. This is your team, Lockie. So I'm I'm sure you've got lots to say around this. Uh, Red spoil Moana's homecoming first game in Samoa for Moana Pacifica, twenty eight forty to the Reds. I guess if we start with the score and some of the players who stood out, who who are you really impressed with? Oh, a couple of the top three that I've got written down. Uh, first one wasn't for the Reds. First one was um, blindside flanker for Moana, Miracle Failangi. Yeah, he played club footy in Samoa as recently as last year. He's the, he is the definition of our local product, and he was unbelievable for Moana. The whole crowd was going absolutely ballistic when he scored his two tries. He's played on the seven circuit, so it was a lot of support. Play he backs up really well across the park. So of all the players. Him and you know, your regular Moana stars, your Levi Amoas, your Tomasi Tabatabanawais, they were all excellent. Putting on my Aussie hat, like we're supposed to do. Um, <laughs> I was really impressed by Matty Fazler, uh, yeah. the Reds hooker. He was brilliant across the park. He's really mobile and he demonstrated that again. A lot of his tries this year have come from the backs of malls. He banks the Lonigan tax or the Fyinga tax, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Um, but he was really strong across the park. He made a couple of really good breaks. Um, his set piece was sold. The red scrum was a real standout from the night. They were, I think they banked four or five first half penalties and then they started getting penalised for what looked like being too dominant at times. I don't know whether that's a bit of bias creeping in, but there were some really interesting calls on the tight head side um, that started going sort of tit for tat as the game progressed and Matty Fazzle was a huge part of that. So really impressed and he, as I'm sure we'll be touching on later on, He's one of the names that's been pulled into Eddie Jones' new Wallabies squad. So that's a that's a big rise for a bloke who probably wasn't starting or really considered even as a bench option in the past few years at the Reds. So that's been a good thing to see from a Queenslander's perspective, as was um, watching Sully Vunavalu yeah, work off the ball. It was it was brilliant. The whole first half he was lurking around rucks like a like an old tight head trying to you know get his ruck <laughs> attendances up, but he was fantastic on the inside. He's, the first try to McWright, he'd been lurking about four phases prior and finally timed it to get through and off McDermott and give that inside ball back to Fraser. And his intercept was freakish, honestly, to spoil a four-on-one and weave his way through without breaking stride. I don't think we've seen him sprint yet. Still, like not full, not full pace. He still doesn't look like he's hit a hundred percent, does he? He still looks no, like no, he's favouring. Having or testing out those hammies and not quite sure yet if he can hit full flight. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm, I'm keen to see it. I'm sure everyone in Australian rugby is keen to see it just to see where the investment's gone if we're not hitting 80% on the legs all the time. I'd love to see him take a stride, but he, he did play really well. And that off-the-ball stuff, whatever's been talked about, whether it's the Rennie era or internally at Reds or what Eddie Jones wants to see, much has been made of work rate. And I think this game was a real standout point. Whether it's a turning point, we can't determine that yet, but it was a marker that he's laid down now. So, so do you think, signs. if we talking of, of Vunavalu, uh, yeah. last week Thorne drops him from the 23 completely. Mm. So he, he sits out. Eddie Jones names him in the Wallaby squad. And a lot of people in Australian rugby are sort of saying, geez, you're talking about selecting players on form and you pick Sully who... Realistically, up to this point, hasn't had a strong start to 2023. 
Do you think it was more the uh, motivation of being included in that Wallaby squad and Eddie saying that he backs him, he knows what he can do, and he just needs to get back to that that level that has given him that encouragement? Or do you think it was more the kick up the butt that he needed from Brad Thorne dropping him? Oh, look, it, maybe it's both. I don't think, I mean, I, we don't know him personally. We don't have a read on the guy, but I hardly think the motivation of Eddie Jones saying, you know, I want you in my squad isn't enough to get you up and about. And I think whether whether it's a combination of, you know, him being on the end of what hasn't been a firing Reds back line, let's be honest, this year, they've been good in patches, but it hasn't been consistent. The pack hasn't been strong enough to get the outside backs good ball. Plus you're competing with the likes of Filippo Dalgurno. You've got Josh Fluke who can play across centre and wing. You've got some really good athletes in that Reds back line. And whether he's had, you know, I think we could probably say that he's had enough time in the Reds system that he should be outstanding every week given his potential. But oh, I just, I hope that we can see that in gold or even just for three or four more games in Super Rugby, what we're probably craving from Surly is consistency. And if we see what we saw in Apia a couple more times throughout this season, then I reckon Eddie's justified in picking him. And I think one of the other things for Surly is just game time. And we haven't seen that so yeah. far in the last kind of two years that he hasn't been able to put consistent game time together, whether it's from re-injuring his hammies, niggles coming up, whether he's just for contests for contests for spots and he's getting other players are getting picked over him. We haven't seen him given a stretch of four or five, six games in a row to kind of get that feel and, and that flow into his game. So hopefully this is a sign of things to come. And as you said, we can expect to see big things from him for the rest of the season. Um, and it will be interesting to see how he bounces back after this, this week being in camp with the Wallabies, getting to to mm. chat with the Wallabies coaches and Eddie Jones and see if that might ignite his passion and um, give him a little bit of that killer instinct to go looking for the ball a bit more and, and score some of those awesome tries that he is capable of. Yeah, oh, there's, I mean, there's no doubt that he is an athlete and that he can finish tries, that he's good aerially. I just want to see him run at full pelt. That's the main thing I want to see. I want to see him get into a bit of space and just fang it. We he just needs to yet. do like Jake Gordon does, just get his... Get, the intercept, like kick it through, toe it, whatever you need to do to get the your hands on the ball get in space and just go for it. Just hit hit a hundred, just take off. Oh, it'd, be a, it'd be a sight to see. So many, so many speedsters in Aussie rugby at the moment. We're we're being spoiled actually. Speaking of speedsters and another uh back three player for the Reds, what what were your thoughts on Jordan Pataya? Yeah, really strong game again from him. I thought he's probably still really pushing Tom Wright. And that's a really good running battle for the gold 15 jersey. Um, we saw him step through about three people <laughs> in a phone box space um, during the first half, that maybe 15, 16 minutes in as they were pushing forward to the left-hand side of the screen. Um, the stuff that Jordan Pataya can do is ludicrous. I don't think anyone's in doubt of how, he's, how his ability to beat a man is probably unmatched in Australian rugby. But we're seeing really good signs from some other players in that side as well. James O'Connor had a couple of good touches as well. We saw Tate McDermott still sniping well. Harry Wilson had another Harry Wilson game where he just carries until he drops. Scored another one of his weird go-go gadget tries um, <laughs> extending over his head. So, I mean, despite all that, probably a disappointing game for the Reds. I think even though they were up 40 to 14 to let them come back, and I think they eventually did lose that bonus point. 
because it was six tries to four at the end. Oh, so yeah. probably yeah, that's coming right. away with what might have been from that, especially when we were talking about the ladder and how tight it is, I think that despite you know the scoreline and putting up 40, you probably haven't done the job that you need to do against a winless bottom place side. And coming away without the bonus point would sting a little bit. But as far as I think the Reds holistically and the, you know, how long is Brad Thorne going to be there for? It's another couple of weeks with a win. <laughs> we'll come, we'll circle back to Brad Thorne because we've got a little bit to talk about on him. But mm. um, one interesting selection they made this week was James O'Connor shifting to 12. Now, do you think that that, obviously that's an injury cover and, and trying to mm. find space to slot him into their back line at the moment with some of the players they've got, Tom Liner back from injury at the moment. Do you think that that's, that's a new option for James O'Connor? Does that open potentially open a slither of a door for a 12 jersey or the ability to play 12 for the Wallabies at the World Cup this year? Oh, I mean, but versatility has always been O'Connor's thing, right? We've chucked him at 10 in the Lions series. He's played everywhere else as well. He's played wing, he's played so, fullback, he's played 10, he's played 12. He's all over the shot and chuck him at two, see if he can throw straight. I mean, the, the guy's an unbelievable footy player and we've always known that about James O'Connor, whether he's been at the Rebels, at the Force, at the Reds, overseas, wherever he's gone, he's been good. I think with the centre positioning, he had a good crack at centre over in Sale when he was yeah. in the UK and that, from all reports, was quite successful. Whether it's a long-term fix for O'Connor, not sure. He was certainly strong in attack, set up yep. that Lawson Crichton try really well, but also he got exposed quite badly in defence a couple of times, especially sliding out um, against Levi Omoa, which is no one's idea of a good time, in fairness, defending Omoa. <laughs> He's just a beast. But yep. a couple of times that frailty was probably exposed defensively. So whether that comes into consideration, I'm not sure. It's probably too early to say. And as far as keeping him at 12, I don't think it's a bad thing for the Reds. He's an experienced campaigner. He can steer that younger back line around. I don't think there's a really set midfield at the moment with Paisami coming in and out, with Henry out at the moment. I'm not sure for what reason, whether that was an injury or not, but it's been quite fluid in that back line. So yeah. I think they can do a lot worse than keeping O'Connor there at 12 for a little longer. Cool. Um, yeah, we will be interesting to see what they do with that and whether that he does get more game time in that position later this year. Mm-hmm. Now, circling back to that point around Brad Thorne, you are a Queensland Reds fan yourself. Uh, you're probably one of the best uh, spaced person to, to answer this question. There's a lot of, I guess, a lot of reports from various media outlets this week that the pressure is intent on Thorne at the moment, that had they lost this game in, in Samoa, that the board might look at terminating his contract effective immediately, looking at other options. Do you think that this win did enough to, I guess, see Thorne through the rest of the season? Depends who you read, doesn't it? If you're on the Raw and you're turning through a couple of Christy Doran articles, you might (laughs) think that he's out tomorrow. If you're reading some of Michael Atkinson's stuff. uh, Yeah, I'm pretty sure Christy... Christy sent out a tweet this afternoon saying that he walked home from Samoa or something. So <laughs> not a like fan at all. I mean, yeah, it's a, it's a funny one. We don't know because, I mean, and Thorny, even, you know, for the interviews, as far as we can remember with him as Redscoats, he's not exactly a verbal wizard. He doesn't give you a lot. Um, last week after that Brumbies loss, we probably saw the most emotion out of him that we've seen even after winning AU in 21. So and just general frustration uh, when, that was, wasn't it? Yeah, it was, it was oh, 
almost anger. Like it's just because it's, it's out of his hands on the field and you, yeah. the old fella probably wants to put the boots back on and go crack some heads Have together. Have a crack, mate. Come on. Have a crack. Um, but oh, look, I, I think it would be difficult now after putting on what was on paper a pretty strong performance. It would be a really big board decision, I think, to knock him over on a bye weekend after a win, especially given irrespective of what we said about how tight the ladder is, the Reds being in sixth. It's not like they're at the bottom of the ladder. They're not 0-8. You're not in a position now where you can pull the trigger, To my, probably to my understanding. That's be the case. So what are we, more than halfway through the season now? Is there enough reason to pull the trigger prior to finals time? Probably not after this result. That would be my guess. What do, what yep. do you reckon? Yeah, I mean, from from a fan, Waratahs fan, who a team that has done that, pulled the trigger mid-season and the mm. catastrophic results that that brought on, uh, I would definitely not be recommending any team do that. And the ramifications mm. of doing that to the player group, to retention of players, to the ability to sign them next year, to then go through that process of who's going to coach the team in the next season or for the rest of the season. And it, just, it basically just puts an asterisk next to the rest of this season. So even if the Reds did bounce from it say they went ahead and did sack thorn and they bounce back like do you put that down to the sacking do you put that down to what thorn's already done like it it creates so much questions and and i guess confusion around um what the path forward is that i i don't think it's a smart move at all i definitely think we won't see thorn stick around post 2023 but i do Mm -hmm. think he deserves to at least see out what he's done and the preparation he's put into this team so far this season I'd agree with that. And I think if we get to the end of the season and they've, they haven't added any wins, they're finishing up with a what, three and 12 record or something like that, then you can go, all right, you haven't done so flash. We probably should have pulled it earlier. But realistically, where they are now, it's a gutsy call to pull that trigger because it does write off the rest of the season. You can make excuses and then you don't have the chance to have that clean slate. We know that he's on the way out. That's not even a whisper in Ballymore. That's the shout. That yep. comes out of Brizzy at the moment, and whether it's a McKeenan who comes through, whether it's an outsourced coach, there is a huge li- list Robbie of people Deans. together. Robbie, Robbie Dean's the the hail mary over at um, Wild <laughs> Nights, but yeah, I, th- I think given his track record, um, he needs to finish off the season now, and then we can move forward. Twenty twenty four, new Reds coach, another grand final. Who knows? <laughs> Let's see if they can salvage their season, and they'll, they'll make the they'll make the playoffs. I don't see them falling out of the eight from here, but um, whether they can sort of salvage salvage things, if it even if it is eighth place. Let's keep moving and let's move down to Canberra for the second game, the second Aussie game of the week, and that was the Brumbies mm. against the Fijian in Drua. Now the final score in this one was forty three to twenty eight, but the Brumbies scored I think two or three tries in the last like ten minutes, just kind of blew the score out a bit. And the Indrua were coming home hot in this game. Yeah, I think the last game reflects this perfectly because this is the exact kind of game where any other Australian team loses this to the Drua. Drua coming home with a wet sail, putting all the pressure on. And where are they? There's, what, 60, there's 15 minutes to go and the Drua get denied a try twice to go ahead for the first time in the game. If those, if that ball isn't held up or if the knock-on isn't called, that late in the piece, you're probably saying the Drew are coming away from Canberra with a win, which would be massive. But like we've talked about before, the Brumbies are so clinical. They work the more, they get the penalty try. 
Ben O'Donnell's third try probably flatters them in that regard as well. But for mine, this was the best men's game of the weekend. It was very entertaining. And that's one of the things that we're starting to talk about this Brumbies team is that they're finding ways to win. Yes, they were ahead on the scoreboard. The Fiji and Drew were coming home strong. But you look back to that Tars game a few weeks ago and the Tars were winning convincingly for mm. what, 75 minutes of that game and they found a way to win. So regardless of the opposition, this Brumbies team are finding ways to win. And that kind of confidence is really, as a fan, is really exciting to see from an Aussie side because so often the narrative is Aussie teams find ways to lose games, not necessarily yeah. win them. <laughs> and that, that has been the narrative, at least as long as you know we've been watching rugby and can remember. But like the, the thing that stands out for me, the Brumbies, like, yes, they've got fantastic weapons across the park, but... Slipper and Alalatoa are so good yeah. and so consistent in that side. Um, I think they're blessed with front row prospects. I mean, you had you know Shoop and Van Neck who are in the Wallaby squad, ins and outs as well. But you've got the two incumbent Wallaby captains either side of Lockie Lonigan, and they've just been unbelievable all year. Even even with Slippers, you know, a couple of tries a week before, I think a lot of their success this year comes down to how strong that front row has been this year. The Brumbies had a bye last week, did they? No. Are they going into a bye now? I think they're going into a bye now. I'd have to double check. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, what are they now? They're, you know, se- seven and one start to the year. The only game they lost was in Christchurch running what was effectively a Brumby runner's side. Like yep. they're in they're in very good nick. But take nothing away from the drill. You blink and all of a sudden you've got a cross kick finding its way to Yosef and Marcy. Revolvo scores that try through the middle and you're going, what the hell? How did that happen? They're such a good team to watch. And it was like a home game for them. The crowd was so loud. And that's one of the things, this like this Drua team, they can go to most stadiums in Australia and they've got a, a vocal even if only small, a very vocal tingent of fans that are there cheering them on and absolutely going nuts for every touch of the ball, every bump, every tackle. The Fijian fans are just, they take this competition to the next level and it's such a refreshing thing that's incorporated Super Rugby Pacific this year, which is so so nice and fresh to see. That's awesome. And th- but some of the standouts for the, for the Drewer as well, like, Yusef Amasi has been so good all year at 13. Revolvo has been a staff since the draw started, really, coming through at 12. But Teddy Teller played a really good game at 10 as well. We've probably seen him as more of an inconsistent fly half since he's come into the role, but he was fantastic. His cross-kicking was excellent. He distributed really well. And traditionally, that's what you want to see in your 10. You'd love a settled number for a Fiji and Drua side, and Teddy Teller probably had his best game in a Drua jersey. Who impressed you from the Brumbies? From the Brumbies, uh, not Darcy Swain for a start. Um, <laughs> but I think as far as being, being impressed goes, I can't really go past Tom Wright, which is a funny one because he wasn't scoring all the tries this weekend, but twice he was distributing to get Ben O'Donnell over the line. He's really good at getting an arm free now. And I, I had a lot of reservations personally about Tom Wright as a fullback prospect um, coming into this season, but he, he continues to prove me yep. wrong and uh, makes me sad at the prospect of not having Pattaya in there. But I think Wright has currently been outstanding and continues to be that person. So Tom Wright, 
linking everyone together in that back line. I, I mentioned before as well, like your regulars, your slippers, your Alatoas. Lockie Lonergan was really strong again. Reese Batneck had a really good crack when he came on too. So, and I think that's what we've leaned into with this Brumbies chatter is that they are so well balanced. That's probably what stands out. Yep, definitely. And again, as we've said, they've just going from strength to strength at the moment. I think they have the bye coming up next. So um, it's a good time for them, I guess. They've, they've put in some good shifts these last few weeks, have a week off and see how they come back on the other side. Anything else you want to say about this game or should we dive into the Tars and, and Force to, to finish off the round? Nah, we'll roll on. Otherwise, I'll keep bagging out non-reds. <laughs> All right, so the Waratahs did receive a bonus point victory over the Western Force this weekend, 36-16. Now, this was the first victory for the Waratahs at their new stadium um, at Allianz. Great to be out there on the weekend. Great to see them play in some ways well. Um, overall, I think you've got to say that they did play well, but the last 20 minutes or so when some of the reserves came on, they they, they started to let the Force score some tries, and at one point they even lost the bonus point. So... Um, bit of bit concerning there, but they did get it back in the end. What were your sort of general takeaways from this game? For me, this game panned out exactly as almost everyone would expect. The Force, uh, you know, trying their best, but the Tars probably too classy at home. And what we're seeing from the Force is what stands out more. Yes, the Tars played well. They finished strongly. Izzy Parisi had what I thought to be his best game of the season. Really dangerous on the outside and setting up tries and Peach and Nwango Iwasi. So outside was really strong for the Tars. But for for the Force, I don't I don't know where they're scoring really. Their tries are coming from, you know, amazing individual bits of brilliance from Mateli and um is it Kiribigi or Kiribij, the the English winger. But they're so often their only source of points that we've seen this season and they'll make something magical but it's not consistent enough and it's not going to win you games. It's going to win you moments. And it concerns me that those players are consistently not players that are eligible for the Wallabies or not Australian players. And that's been what's been discussed a lot about regarding the force in the past few weeks. Oh, definitely. And I think one of the things Simon Cron spoke about it after the game as well in the press conference was uh, the fact that the, you can score tries late and you can you can score tries when the game's not on the line. And as good as it is to see the team scoring those tries, the fact is that they need to be in the game and they need to be competitive and, and scoring those tries to, to extend their leads. And at the moment, they're just not doing that. Um, and how he arrests that momentum, how he sh- shifts that up, some of the personnel that are coming in and out of this team all the time, selection issues... Uh, it's it's a real challenge for the Western Force moving forward. It's a tough one. But, I mean, look, take nothing away from the Tars. Much-needed bonus point win keeps them in the running for a final spot, as you'd traditionally expect of a Tars team. And for me, a standout was Dylan Peach. He is a really, really good prospect in what's already going to be a stacked Tars outside back unit, then throw him into the Wallaby mix. If you're, if you're feeling that way inclined, he is undisputably a talent. Well, we already saw last year Mark Nwanganitawasi makes his debut against, was it Italy that he got the debut and then he followed up at Wales? or Yeah, his, um, Mark and uh, Donaldson both debuted against Italy from memory. Yeah, and uh, 
you know, he had a strong Australia A program, came through, got the selection up into the Wallabies and played those two games. I really thought Peach at that time was sort of neck and neck with Nwanganitawasi as well. Mm. Both of those players had a really strong um, season and a really strong performance in that Australia A program. And we're starting to see it this year as well. Peach struggling to get game time, I guess, with such a competitive back three at the Waratahs. But when he does get on and when he is playing, he's looking strong, he's making the right decisions. That sevens background again, just we're coming to see it, particularly in the back three, mm. not just for the Waratahs, but across a sort of Australian super rugby at the moment. It's these sevens players are a step above when it comes to skill set. Being having someone who is able to not only make a hit but contest the breakdown and can get turnovers out wide when when it's sort of one on one or two on one is such a, a unique and different aspect of the game that we just haven't necessarily seen or utilized as much in Australian rugby. And that's the thing. That's what sevens can be. We can be that nursery for your next stars. Like people like Artie Sevilla and Rico Ioani, they're sevens products. They've gone through that system at a young age and belted people around. And you can't help but think that is a key part of your developmental phase to be a fully rounded rugby player. And you mentioned outside backs, you've got your Corey Tools over at the force. You've got your people like Tim Anstey who've come across in the program. You've got Sevens players both domestically and overseas. Ben O'Donnell, another one who's been through the Sevens program. These are really quality, well-rounded rugby players. And the faster we can start getting youngsters into that Sevens program, lock them in for a couple of years to build up your skill set and bring them back into Super Rugby as 20-year-olds, 21-year-olds rather than fresh out of school, I think we're going to see massive benefits across Australian rugby. And we're starting to see that there have been some of those signings, kids coming out of school, boys being pushed into that sevens program. And personally, I think that's a really sensible idea for Australian rugby. Touching on that point of sevens and the transition from sevens to fifteens, Mm. a a bit of talk in the media this week was Michael Hooper's future, whether he continues in fifteens, sort of jokingly suggested maybe a shift to league. Uh, I don't, I definitely don't think that's happening. But one of the suggestions was that he might make a shift to sevens. How do you think that he would go making that transition? Do you think that he might be a successful sevens player, see out a few tournaments in the World Series before he calls it quits in 2024? I, I have no doubt that he'd be a good, solid player on the sevens circuit. He's got, one, he's got a legendary motor. Like you, when you people talk about Michael Hooper, it's always the fact that he's everywhere all the time. He does the Energizer Bunny. Yeah, Energizer Bunny. I mean, he's he's a maniac, and he's been so good at that physical side of the game for as long as I can remember. And you know, any anyone who bags Hooper consistently goes back to his size, which is ridiculous <laughs> in my opinion. But can you imagine his frame running around in sevens? Yeah, like he'd he'd be unbelievable. And so. Honestly, if he wants to go and have a crack at a Paris gold medal or whatever, full power too. He's given his body and his brain for Australian rugby. If he wants to have a crack at sevens, then absolutely, mate, I'd back it. Can't say I'm taking the Roosters' number one jersey, um, but as far as sevens is concerned, <laughs> I reckon he'd be unreal. Now, there were a few head-scratching moments in this game, if you did get to catch it. Chase Tia Tia taking a kick, which ended up... Oh. Um, Closer to the goalpost than it did to the t- to the the sideline. Um, what was going on there? Oh, it was a it was a just a shocker, like one of those real shocking moments <laughs> that he would be hanging his head over for for years to come after that. Because people will keep bringing up on his birthday, they'll DM it to him every couple of months. All his mates back in New Zealand, 
Like he will get crap for that for a long time, unfortunately. But I mean, it, that comes down to basic execution of those moments. And it's funny because I actually saw something pop up on, I think it was Crusaders socials maybe a week or two ago of David Harvey practicing kicks to touch from 15, 10, five metres out and all being about nailing those basics. So it was kind of ironic to see that suddenly swap into a game scenario and having a super rugby level player botch it to that degree. But I mean, I, I don't want to knock Chase TT. He's been fantastic for the force and he's done amazing work. He's you know, infinitely times a rugby player um, I've ever been. <laughs> so I think we I can mean, give him talking one Jess, we did joke around around it being a, a bit of a funny uh, outcome for the force. But when you sort of look at when it was and how um, the skill the skill execution just lets them down again. And that, unfortunately, is just a theme of their season in 2023, that they get a penalty there, they kick to touch. If they get that out, they they roll it over or they, they spread it wide, they potentially score. They they take the bonus point off the, the Waratahs. I think they're even a lot closer at that point. They potentially get closer to getting ahead on the scoreboard. It swings in roundabouts. It's one of those moments. How do the force stop and... Uh, yeah, stop having these moments, these these brain farts, and and actually start to execute these these little these little things moving forward. Oh, I think if we knew the answer to that, they would have hired us. Would be in Perth already. It would be <laughs> it'd be fascinating to be like over in Perth and seeing that environment and what they're doing. Because for mine, and I think the standard line when you talk about the forces, you know, they're a gritty team. They'll graft you. They'll hang with you. They'll hang tough, and looking at the results on paper, you know, they've been within two points of the Hurricanes. They've pushed sides. They've won a couple of close games already this year or the the two that they've banked, I think. Um, But for the life of me, it doesn't look like it's a structured rugby team. It goes, becomes very scrappy after about the second phase. You've got your three-man pod and you'll play one out back. And then, then second, third phase, I don't know where it goes. Yep. So I'm sure they've got a plan in place, but it's not sticking at the moment. They've got a, a structure. They just don't in. seem to be playing to it, do they? No. And I, you know, Simon Cron's, you know, going to be infinitely better place to talk about it than we are. And maybe it's another well, one that's, for um, that's a nice year. little segue. I, I will reveal to the Western Force fans, the ones that are listening to the pod at this point, hopefully it is before Wednesday because... Ando and I, oh, yeah, Tuesday night, Ando and I are sitting down with Simon Cron to, to do an interview. So you do have questions and we've got some that we're starting to put together that we can ask him. Um, but for the fans, definitely do keep a, an eye on our socials and, and send those questions in that we can then put to Simon Cron and, and get some answers. Oh, but wouldn't we love to know? I'm keen and I'll be putting my headphones in for it. But I think it's got to come down and we'll wrap this up in just a tick, but it's got to come down to 10 as well. I mean. There hasn't really been a consistent 10 at the force that's been able to lock down that position. They've got the likes of, you know, John Lance, who's played there in the past, and then it's a Bailey Kunzel, and then it's a Hamish Stewart, and then, you know, Jack Strawn's been thrown in there. But for the life of me, I can't see the consistent 9 and 10 combos that they're trying to build. So maybe that's a factor as well. Well, speaking of of nine and and well, speaking of ten, I should say, um, we will shift across into the Wallabies update just after this. But one big thing that came out of this game after full time was Lockie Swinton has been cited for a late hit um, on Jake Strawn. Second minute or 
I think it was even within the first minute of the game, Jake Strong clears the line, Lockie Swinton comes through, cleans him up late, makes direct head contact, uh, completely missed by all TMO sideline ARs, ref on the field. What are your thoughts around this one? How, how did this get missed? I mean, I was sitting in the stands. I, I was in the stands at the stadium on the other side of the field. I saw it and I was like waiting for the check, check call. Never came. I don't know. To me, that's a you know bread and butter send off. You're high, you're late, you're in a dangerous area. There's no mitigating factors. I think you'd be pretty hard pressed to argue against that. So I'm glad it's been cited from a safety perspective, because things get cited for a lot less. And oh, particularly when we look at the the impact last week in that Reds um, Brumbies game with Blythe coming through and making contact. This yeah, in some ways was, was worse was because it's late bad. off the ball. Yeah, absolutely. And I think Swinton is probably, given his track record, is probably looking at a long stint. We're talking four, five plus weeks for contact like that if it's officiated the way that it has been throughout. Oh, they this won't though. They don't. They always cut it in half. He won't get more than oh, three. I, I, they just can't do I it. I love Lockie Swinton from a from a sort of dastardly six perspective, but I can't think you can argue good behaviour for Swinton <laughs> and good priors. No, you can't. Well, let's uh, let's move across into the next bit. Uh, so the Wallabies go into squad tomorrow. So Monday morning, they all arrive in Sanctuary Cove for their first um, get-together squad of 2023. Now, there have been some updates in the squad, some players out with injury and some players coming in as injury replacements. So the players that have been named in, we've got Matt Fazler, um, Parisi, Scott, Smith, uh, Swinton, Van Neck and Harry Wilson from the Reds. Some of the players, and I've got to just get it up because I can't quite read that, players out with injury or who aren't necessarily showing up to Wallabies camp but will be, um, from what I've read, will be attending via Zoom. We've got Gleason out, Hannigan, Ikitao, Parecki, Samu, Shop, and Swain. Most of those through injury or concussion. So what I guess to start off with, what are your thoughts around the, these players that have been called in um, as replacements for the players that aren't going to be able to make it? Well, for starters, how good for them. What an opportunity. And some of these players you wouldn't have even expected to be within a sniff of a Wallabies jersey at the start of the season. You've got the likes of sort of, you know, long-term club prospects like Reese Van Neck who've been, you know, in club land for a long time, suddenly in Wallabies camp. That's it's an awesome story. Um, and your likes of Rory Scott, you probably wouldn't have expected given the calibre of Lucy's we've got in Australia to see him, even though he's a really good player, to be in that Wallaby squad. So it's fantastic for them. I mean, it's it's Eddie, isn't it? I mean, nothing's for certain, nothing's locked in. He could easily, you know, pull them all out and bring in 30 new people during the camp just to mess with us. So for them, a fantastic opportunity, probably a bit of, I don't know if you'd say justice for Harry Wilson, but he's been knocking on that door for a while. So it's it's nice to see him be rewarded in that manner. Probably the same for people like um, Izzy Parisi after injuries yep. and a bit of a form dip. It's really good to see him because he can be such a damaging 13. Um, but so what does that blow the number out to? There's about 50 people if you include internationals and on Zoom. It's like, it's like a not big old land party. It sounds like it. I mean, I'm I'm surprised that you or I didn't get an invite either. I'm sure it's in the <laughs> fine print there. Mitch, Ando, Lockie. Gotta check your voicemail. That's the problem. Yeah, a few of the other guys getting getting called in. We might get the. You know, we might be we 
putting the socks on later the year for the Wallabies. A few, a few tackle bags. Yeah, it's, I'll, uh, I'll I do think worse actually. <laughs> um, I say this in jest, but. Uh, I guess it's it's somewhat serious. When you look at the players, both two of the names together, Ryan Smith and Lockie Swinton, now both of them, one definitely out on uh, bad behavior. Swinton yeah. cited today will most likely, as we said before, get um, a sanction and have a few weeks on the sideline. Do you think that Eddie Jones, obviously he's looking at a, a Wallaby squad that will be playing later in the year so he doesn't bring into account their availability to play right today and right now? But do you think that Eddie Jones kind of secretly likes that little bit of mongrel, wants those players? Like, um, what was his name, Hill, that he brought out to Australia last year to get into Darcy Yeah, headbutt gate. Um, I, yeah. I think you're bang on, Mitch. And I think that that's exactly why he's got them in the squad, is to be, not necessarily be wearing a gold jersey in Paris, but to be that preparation for the touring squad that goes over. I mean... If you want to prepare for, you know, the French in Paris or the box coming up, I mean, it's you can't find a better crash dummy than Lockie Swinton just running at you for a couple of weeks in the lead up. I mean, having, so, having that, yeah, having that mongrel element like your like your Ryan Smiths and your Swintons, I, I and I think because those are the two names that stick out. I can't think of many people that currently fit that mold in Aussie rugby. We don't have and traditionally haven't had that really, you know, uncompromising, hard bastard, for lack of a better the term. The strong enforcer that, type. Yeah, the enforcer, like your Jerome Kano's and your, your pot guiders and your shock burgers and the yeah, people. Yeah, Ebenezer with the eyes yeah, of like Al Alatoa. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, Alan's probably in that mould after that tiff, but um, we don't have that enforcer at six or at eight. We traditionally haven't had it in the past. It's something that we do lack, whether it's, you know, emblematic of Aussie rugby at the moment or we just don't have the physicality. Those two players are able to sort of paper that gap, I think, in our preparation. So if you want to prep a 10 for the World Cup, get those two running at them off every ruck in front of the offside line, off the ball, just taking them out. That's as good a preparation as any, I'd say. Now, looking at the the injuries as, a, as a, a, an element, a wider element, it does start hmm. to show... Uh, the interesting dynamic that this World Cup will have in the first camp that we name our squad, the day before we've had seven players withdraw with concussion or injury. So that really goes to show what kind of um, impact the concussion protocols will and can have in this tournament later in the year. I I will be interested to see how it will impact, particularly the final series, that you get a player like... um, uh, geez, who comes to mind? What's the French number nine again? Um, Dupont. Say Dupont, oh, Dupont in the yeah. quarters or semis gets get hits high and, and goes off with a concussion, potentially misses the final, and then you you're no longer able to play one of your best key playmakers because we've got the twelve day stand down. It's going to be really interesting to see if World Rugby does tweak some laws to have some kind of like we've seen in the NRL, some kind of concussion extra twenty fourth man that can come onto the bench in that instance or even just how coaches prepare their squads in, in hope that they don't lose a play like that. Yeah, and just on DuPont, I imagine that if that happens in Paris, you're going to see a lot of cameras suddenly turn off and not work, and the refs might suddenly be breaking down from what we've seen in the past year or so. <laughs> he's not going to cuss. He's playing on. He's fine. Yeah, he's, he's, he's fine. He's fine. Pat he can't away. stand and up, mate. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I think 
realistically, they're going to have to consider that, especially with their contact training uh, through World Cup camp and when they're over in France. I imagine that's going to be rapidly reduced for those kinds of things. But, I mean, does it affect the balance of your squad and who you're picking? Absolutely. You know, can we afford to lose another 10 for Australia? What's our depth like at two? There's another real question as well, like those key areas. I mean, our tight heads as well. If Alatoa goes down, we're asking serious questions. So how we balance and manage our squad is going to be a huge part of it. I don't know whether concussions are the sole focus. I mean, we saw last year all those soft tissue injuries popping up through what happened. So I think training and how Eddie manages that over the next five months is going to be critical. And I would say that lightened contact load is going to be a big part of that. I will, it does throw in uh, players like James O'Connor, the versatility of yeah. them, the fact that they can play so many positions. Reese Hodge, another one, Andrew Kellaway to a yeah. degree. It really mm-hmm. shows that they're a lot more valuable, doesn't it? And that you could put either of those three players into any or most positions in a back line and be confident that they're going to do a job uh, at test level. Yeah, for sure. And like you said, the versatility weighs in. Do we then focus on picking players that can just do that? that can plug holes across the park. So we have a back line full of your O'Connors or your, uh, I mean, maybe that limits someone like a, and I don't think it had happened, but limit someone like an Icky Tower is a set 13. Like yeah. what does the balance of the back line then look like? I think we're pretty spoiled for choice across seven and eight. Six and the row is a bit of a toss up at the moment and we've got a good idea who our props are. But there are those key positions. And the one that really springs to mind for World Cup selection, and I'm not sure how much airtime you want to give it, is around do we take three halfbacks if concussion is going to be so closely monitored and you know there's a Eben Hetzebeth leaping over the top of a ruck head first <laughs> like do we do we need to take three and how does that make up look realistically so look I don't think we we huge. can't we can't afford not to I think we need yeah. to have at least three because uh and and I'm not too uh up on the protocols on flying players over I think if you've got no replacements you can fly a like an emergency player over should be, uh, shouldn't the need arise. But realistically, I think you want to have three halfbacks in the squad training consistently, knowing the calls, knowing the systems, knowing the culture of the team and not bringing someone like, I had to say, Jake Gordon or Ryan Lonergan over from yeah. Australia who hasn't been involved in the setup for weeks prior. Yeah, and, that, and that's what makes the halfback selection so interesting. And I think so much of the attention has been around the fact that Yes, Eddie wants the trainings to be, you know, two teams opposing. That's why I've got two halfbacks. But that McDermott or Gordon aren't in that. And the way up of do we take a third is massive. So is that prep for Lonergan? Does it guarantee him a spot in that, you know, two or three just by virtue of being in Eddie's initial plans? Or is it a, you know, you've captained Aussie A, you've been pretty successful in your combo with Debrecen this year. You know, has Ando put in such a good word that you're suddenly on the plane? Like, you know, you it always You look too handsome, we're going to take you. Um, That's right. I, I find that balance so interesting for Eddie's Yeah, it will be interesting to see what happens. Now, I am conscious of time. We are, we are dragging on a little bit. So let's uh, finish up there with the Wallabies chat. We'll move quickly into the locker room. We've got two questions, or I've got two questions for you. Now, the first one comes in from Dr. Josh, and he's quite um, vocal on Twitter, and I'd love to hear some of the things that he throws our way. So, um, Eddie loves a leaguey and we have no viable options at 10. Surely Nathan Cleary at fly half for the Wallabies at Rugby World Cup 2023 is not the most outrageous call of the year. What do you think around that? Surely tongue in cheek, but do you think there's any legitimacy in it? 
Oh, it's it's tunning cheek, and but I love any any chat since Sulei got cleared. Any chat of bringing a league across just creates a hate storm online and leagueies across the nation pulling their hair out. And I can sympathise because it goes both ways. But Nathan Cleary in that chat that he mentioned it, he said, you know, he hasn't made a decision. I can't see him leaving it. But it'd be nice. It'd be like the sort of post um, 2003 or just before when they were trying to get Andrew Johns over and they almost landed him. That would be the level if it was to happen. I think we're a long way off. And I think, honestly, they're more likely of trying to pinch Jack White for the Brumbies. And I mean, realistically, like, like yes, I agree with what you're saying. It's it's not going to happen, and it probably no. won't happen. And if it does ever do does eventuate, it won't be before 2025. But just imagine if it did, and what would happen? I think the NRL would cease to exist. It would implode. All the journos would just hand in their resignations. They're so fragile. We've seen it through the Sawali issue. They lose another high profile player over to Union. They'll just combust. They they would, and all the you know, the unironed shirts and red wine stained lips and crinkled ties would just be, you know, shredding themselves in the air. I think you'd probably see Volandis spontaneously combust. McLennan puts on the Thanos glove, snaps his fingers, whatever you want to play. It would be Armageddon. <laughs> it would be Armageddon in the media. Um, it'd be fascinating to see, actually. But I think realistically on, the, on this sort of broader conversation of bringing leagues across, you could do a lot worse than to bring over another high-profile playmaker. There is that sort of chatter around... We always get outside backs, um, and that's true because it's probably the easiest to convert across. You're a finisher. You can adapt your skill set, but that's been the most successful in the past. Having someone in a real decision-making role like at 9, 10, 12 would be a huge change for a league convert, and I don't know if it's possible because we haven't seen it really. But yeah. The closest we would have seen to that would be Benji Marshall, and that didn't go well. Not an all. amazing playmaker in league who got absolutely fed in Super Rugby and came back, came back to the game. So will we see it? Will we see Cleary and his amazing chin leap into action in a gold jersey? I've, I've no idea, but it's fun. I, mean, I, lo- I would, I would say though, I'd love to see it, and I'd be the first person to be buying tickets to get to that game to watch. No doubt. Oh, absolutely. And yeah, they always earmark your know, 80s list, like your Matt Burton's, your, your Nathan Cleary's, you know, I want to bring this person, this person, this person. Cameron Murray gets tossed up, rah, rah, rah. I just think it's great fodder for Union. We've been in the yep. papers and TVs more in the past six months than we have in the past six years. Great. Well, I've got one question. Last question for you, Lockie, before we finish up. Um, Ooh, now, uh-huh. it's, I guess it's a two-parter. First question, have you been listening to Eddie Jones's podcast? I have. I listened on and off when I listened to his most recent one. You did? Good. so much fun. So the last podcast, Eddie Jones was talking about some of the players that either made that squad, made the previous squad, and some of the players coming in. Now, as a if you're not a Brumbies fan, I'm not a Brumbies fan mm-hmm. either, but if I don't know if you noticed, Eddie Jones butchered every single Brumbies player's name. He didn't say it correctly. Oh, yeah. It was like he called him L- Lana Gran. He called him Debrazano. Shop. Um, Debrazano De or Debrazino Debra, Debra Z- Debra or something. It's agonizing. Uh, Lola, Lola Sire. Like, he just couldn't say a Brumby's name. Now, do you think that there's anything to read into that? Do you think that maybe he's not necessarily looking at Brumby's players because he doesn't know them as well? When he, Whenever you ask him about Waratah's players, he just rolls the names off the tongue. Donaldson, Edmed, Noonga Nitawasi. Peach. Yeah. Is, is, is it is it mind games with Eddie? I mean, yeah, does, does the uh, 
<laughs> the proverbials, I'm not even allowed to say them on air, especially for Eddie. But I think it's pretty clear that he likes messing with people. And whether he's just, you know, trying to mess with people to put them off guard, whether he genuinely doesn't know because he doesn't care or he's looking <laughs> at it for the first time. He, and when, he, when he reads, he's like your grandpa trying to read a newspaper. Yeah, he's like not put his glasses sort of on. away from himself. <laughs> it's just, it's so much fun listening to him rip into Pembroke. I mean, the poor bugger has been his media manager for how long? And he's just a, he's just a punching bag. It's, <laughs> it's really so good. content. Oh, God. But, yeah, we'll okay. see. And, look, with all the Brumbies being named, he's probably going to get a couple right, seeing as though there'll be at least seven or eight in the starting side. Yeah, definitely. Um, great. Well, let's uh, let's finish things up there. It, it, this has probably run on a little bit longer, so it's a bit of a longer pod. But thank you so much for joining us or joining me tonight, Lockie. And, um, yeah, I guess what are you up to? Is anything coming out for Scrum Bags that you want to promote or where can people find you if they want to hear a bit more oh, of you or see your products? I, I, Oh, look, I'd, I'd love more things to be happening with it. It's been more work and less play at the moment. Um, I'd like to have uh, our own Scrum Bags podcast up and running by the World Cup, but that's all pending work-wise. Um, I've been doing a fair bit with uh, RA, doing some contracting stuff in the NT. Um, the South Australian comps just started this weekend past, um, so the first round games have all been happening yesterday and Tassie kicks off next week. So I'm looking at that non-traditional domestic side of it at the moment. So I think Scrum Bag is probably just going to stay on Instagram at the moment. Jump in with you guys if there's ever a chance and maybe come World Cup, we'll see if we can get something together and get a little soft launch going. Fantastic. That sounds awesome. Well, keep it up. You're doing some great work out there on, on the socials, on Instagram. And for those uh, that aren't following you, please, fans of the pick, of pick and Drive, do go and follow Scrum Bags and Lockie because he's got some great content out there as well. Thanks, everyone, for getting this point in the podcast. As we mentioned earlier, we do have an interview coming up with Simon Cron Tuesday night, Ando and I sitting down to chat with him. So if you've got any questions, Western Force fans, any fans, Australian rugby fans, send them in. Keep an eye out on our socials because we want to ask your questions uh, to Simon Cron and get your answers that you want answered. Um, yeah, and that'll be out hopefully on Wednesday morning. So thanks, everyone, again, for getting this part of the pod, and we'll uh, catch you later in the week. See you later.